Welcome to another episode of Exploring Possibilities on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and my website, journeyofpossibilities.com. It's your host, Cheryl Sitz, and right here every week, we have some of the most interesting, inspiring conversations on the planet, all designed to help you transform life from the inside out in holistic, spiritual ways. Now, if you like what you hear, you can help us keep paying those bills and bringing you these shows with your contribution at journeyofpossibilities.com slash donate. And we'll get on with today's show right after this. Mario Rosales of Tech Life Balance. How can you help us this week? Thank you, Cheryl. I actually want to say, first off, I don't speak geek. I speak English, lightworker, galactic, Spanish, or you name it. I can probably work it or figure it out, even sign language, maybe. Anyway... The truth of the matter is I can make it understandable for you. Technology seems to be very complicated for a lot of people. And I've been in it for a long time and I can make it understandable. I don't try to sell you stuff that you don't need because that's not me. What I am, I am the type of person that can give you the truth. The things that you don't need, we can say, no, we don't need that. Or I even have a, a listener one time that called me and we agreed that we weren't. Uh, she wasn't ready for my services. So what can I help you with? I can help you with websites, blogs, video, podcasts, social media. And yeah, even that weird stuff. Go ahead and give me a call and we can figure it out. Contact me at margosalas.net and I look forward to talking to you. Who are you? Why are you here? What wonders and opportunities await you beyond physical death? What happened millennia ago to create the damaged earth and fractured societies you see around you? Empowering, enlightening, internationally acclaimed, the Joseph Communications books offer answers to these questions. Spiritual, concise, contemporary, non-denominational, the communications originate from Joseph, a highly evolved discarnate spirit concerned for you and the future of the planet and its peoples. The words of Joseph and his soul group give you the power to bring light and change into your own life and the lives of others and to restore the earth. Available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, the communications can be ordered today at www.thejosephcommunications.com and also from Amazon and other major booksellers. All proceeds are used for further publishing and advertising and to make the communications available worldwide. Well, we've announced details for the ultimate Peruvian shamanic experience. I hope you'll join us next fall, tour the Nazca lines, go into the Amazon rainforest and participate in nature walks and sacred plant medicine ceremonies with shaman of the highest integrity. We'll also move things into the sacred valley for more ceremonies with shaman and touring sacred sites like Machu Picchu, Oye Taitambo, and more. You can get details at journeyofpossibilities.com slash events. Well, on with today's guest, Ruby Falconer is the co-author of Shamanic Egyptian Astrology, Your Planetary Relationship to the Gods. She and co-author Linda Starwolf created a unique model that merges Western astrology with the archetypal wisdom of shamanic Egypt to create a language of wholeness useful for navigating life in a stressful world like we live in a stressful world. You can find her on Facebook. Her page is Shamanic Starology. Welcome, Ruby. Hello, Cheryl. How are you? I'm good. I'm so glad to have you with us. What stressful world, Ruby? We don't live in a stressful world. (laughs) Oh, no, we don't live. Oh, no, it's a beautiful day. It really is. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm sitting here on my porch in the mountains of Western North Carolina. It's lovely. Oh, of course, it's good. better when I don't look at the news. So. Yeah, or, or when you don't have a hurricane coming through. I'm glad you were okay from that, right? Yes, it missed us. It turned north before it got here, so that was good news. I'm so Very glad. sad for the people on the uh, East Coast, however. Yes, definitely. Well, <clears throat> where to start here? I think I'd really like for us to be able to get to know you a little better. I have been intrigued with astrology for a long time, but it's a really deep subject. Did you grow up kind of conscious and want to go into astrology or how did that come about for you? Oh, not at all. No, not at all. Now, I have to say, Cheryl, that I did come to maturity during the 60s. So <laughs> astrology had its a renaissance in the 60s, somewhat similar to what's going on right now. And there was a kind of a dry period in between them. But a lot of folks were very interested in astrology. Of course, this is pre-computers, pre-online um, you know, uh, online stuff, all that sort of thing. So you had to calculate charts by hand. And what happened was a friend of mine knew how to calculate charts, but he didn't know how to interpret them. So he calculated my chart. He did all the math around it. And then he gave me my chart. And what he said was, Moon in Scorpio, hmm, that's not a very good position for a woman. And that's all he knew. And I was like, what? So that was what initiated my interest. But what I do have to say about my study of astrology from that point, Cheryl, it was almost like remembering. And it's the only thing in my life that has been like that, that I've just taken it up and it's felt like I remembered it rather than having to struggle to learn it. And of course, through the years, this was 1973 when I was first introduced to it, I've done a tremendous number of charts. I've done a lot of research projects. I've written a book. I've learned a lot along the way so that in so many ways, I feel like I live, breathe, think astrology, but I definitely did not grow up that way. I grew up in a um, working class family in a suburb of Los Angeles. And um, no, we were not into any kind of spiritual sorts of things whatsoever. So I love that journey. And astrology is spiritual. I think I've come into it in a very spiritual way, but I don't guess everybody that's into astrology is spiritual with it. You've done such a unique thing with where you've taken it. So I don't how to how to get into that. I guess my first question would be, why Egypt? Of all the things that we would merge astrology with to go in a unique way, why the Egyptian gods? I'm going to address that in just a second, but if I can just say a little bit about why, for me, astrology has ended up being spiritual. Oh, please. When I first started studying it, I defined myself as an atheist. I really did. I was a very logical person. I'm a Virgo. And so everything had to make sense to me from a logical, cerebral point of view. However, when I started studying astrology, I remember thinking, I don't know what God is. I still don't know what God is. (laughs) But I see the hand of the divine in astrology in that the synchronicity between events, between personalities, and what shows up in an astrological chart is not something that can be denied. And so without knowing specifically what caused this or how this happened, I see the hand of the divine. And so that's for me, it was my doorway into the spiritual. Since then, I've it started me on my spiritual path in that, you know, I, everything I've done since then has always had the backdrop of astrology going on with it. But it's also always been part of my spiritual path. And so to speak into 
where the Egyptian archetypes started to come in. Back in 2005, Linda Starwolf, who is the co-author of the book that I wrote that you mentioned in the opening, um, Shamanic Egyptian Astrology, she went to Egypt for the first time. And I understand you're going to have Starwolf on your show in a few weeks, so I won't talk too much about her. But one of her great gifts is she is a channel. And while she was in Egypt, the archetypes the netters, as they are called, um, the netters is the word for that the Egyptians use for all the various gods and goddesses. Or to, altogether, the pantheon is called the Neteru. The netters were all speaking to her, and they were telling her their stories, giving her direct downloads. And this, so when she came back, I didn't go on that trip. When she came back, she was full of this information, and she was talking and she's teaching it, and I'm listening to her. This is a side note. I met uh, Star Wolf in 2000 and started, uh, she was my teacher originally, and then I became, she has a program. I became a shamanic breathwork facilitator, began working with her more closely, became a teacher, became part of the organization, Venus Rising. Along the way, I began to make connections between what she was teaching and the Egyptian archetypes. And I'll give you an example. She was talking about Thoth, who is the Egyptian sacred scribe. And Soth is the one who, from the Egyptian point of view, created the alphabet and created time. Of course, language and time are closely related to one another. This is a story that gets repeated in other myths. It's part of the Norse myth with Odin as being the creator of the alphabet. When I heard this, I thought, well, that sounds like Mercury which is the archetype for communication in Western astrology. He's known as Hermes to the Greeks. She talked about uh, Isis, who is the queen mother of heaven for Egypt. When I listened to her talking about Isis, I said, well, that sounds like Venus. She's talking about Set, who's the warrior king. Well, that sounds like Mars. So I went to her and I said, I'm just seeing all of these overlays, and when I think about it, Starwolf, it makes total sense. The Egyptian archetypes are much, much older than the Greek and Rome, um, Roman archetypes, which is what Western astrology is based on. And in fact, very late in Egypt's history, the Greek and Roman historians traveled through Egypt and wrote down their stories. But of course, they wrote them down, seeing them through their own lens. And so they got integrated into their understanding and their myths as well. So obviously, there's a connection. But it's as though these Egyptian archetypes, the netters, are like the great, great grandparents of the Greek and Roman archetypes that are still very prominent in our collective psyche today. So that's the, in a sense, where it came from, the why it came from is I had been working with an idea for quite a long time, which is that Western astrology is a language of wounds. And the word I'm saying there is wounds, W-O-U-N-D-S. And there's a reason for that. We are a very wounded planet. It, it is a very stressful planet. And it, you know, it's it's kind of funny to me. It's a little bit of a joke. But it's also very serious. People don't call me for a chart reading when everything's going wonderfully in their <laughs> life. They call me when something's not working. Yeah. They, yeah. They want to know what's going on. They want to know how long is it going to last. They want to know why it's going on, what they can do about it. And astrology can help with all of those things. 
What I love about the um, Egyptian myths is it's not that they're not full of tumultuous stories and uh, murders and, you know, um, rebirths, all kinds of things, just like Greek and Roman myths are, but they're much more balanced. And they're particularly balanced between the masculine and the feminine in that there's an, uh, many of the Greek and Roman archetypes are actually opposite gender in the Egyptian myths. So there's a better balance between male and female, yin and yang, however you want to think of it. And there's also less um, victimization of the feminine as there is in Greek and Roman astrology, uh, mythology. And it's really important to remember that Greek and Roman myth is the basis of Western astrology, and Greek and Roman philosophical perspective is the basis of Western culture. So uh, one, uh, one other archetype I want to talk about that really demonstrates this is um, the archetype Pluto in Western astrology. He is the uh, planet of death. He's the lord of the underworld. And modern astrologers have understood that if you're going to talk about death, you also have to talk about rebirth. Because for every death that happens, there is somewhere a rebirth. However, we humans don't tend to like death too much, understandably enough. In the Egyptian myth, the archetype is Osiris, who is the lord of the underworld, but he's also the lord of regeneration. His story, which is connected to Isis, and I won't tell it here, it's kind of long and people can look it up if they want, but he dies, he's killed not once but twice. He's brought back to life by his consort, Isis's love for him, and so he becomes the concept of the eternal cycle of death and rebirth, which the Egyptians were very comfortable with. We in the Western world are less comfortable with this concept, and we are therefore less comfortable with change, because change, after all, is a kind of death, and people get a little scared around that. So this, for me, became a way that I could use astrology. And for me, I overlay the Egyptian archetypes onto Western astrology. You know, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because Western astrology is a powerful model that has been developed for hundreds of years. And it's particularly in the last hundred years has really grown up and it's particularly attuned to our modern Western psyche. And yet at the same time, I want to bring in these other archetypes who in some ways they speak to the potential of the issues that are coming up, the potential for growth and the potential for reaching wholeness as opposed to simply being in our wounds. You do such a fabulous job of explaining all of that. And this seems like the perfect time to bring in the shamanic piece because that has been my journey and Mario's journey and many that listen to our show that resonate with shamanism. And that too is about death and rebirth. So is that where, yes. why you paired the two, why you put shamanic in the title as well? There, there really wasn't any choice around that because Star Wolf has been working with the term shamanic and shamanism since the mid 80s. So, you know, for her, she's always been a little bit ahead of the um, pack in that sort of thing. I remember back when um, she wanted to change the name of our organization from Venus Rising, I think it was called the Institute for Empowerment, to the, this is one of our many names, so it was going to be the Venus Rising Institute for Shamanic Healing Arts. 
some of her, the folks that were working with her really resisted that because they really felt that this term was not a term that people would understand because it was not used that much at that time. This was back in the, the uh, around 2000. So she's always been using this term and she uses it in a particular way. She makes reference to Aquarian shamans. And what she means by that, by Aquarian shamanism, is that it's an eclectic, eclectic form of shamanism that works with Mesoamerican shamanism, but also with indigenous roots from around the world. So it's Celtic, it's Norse, it's Egyptian. And the concept being bringing ancient traditional values and merging them with modern techniques and creating something new for a new age. Exactly. So it had to be in there. So shamanic Egyptian, the myths that we work with for Egypt, a lot of the myths, if you go into the library and get a book, a lot of those will have been passed down from the Victorians who wrote down, I made reference earlier to the Greek and Roman historians who traveled through Egypt from about, um, you know, say 600 BC or, you know, uh, before Common Era up to about 400 when the fall of Rome. And they were writing down, seeing things through their very imbalanced in terms of the energies of male and female lens. You know, these were very what we would call patriarchal societies. And they were writing down those myths. Shamanism, and this is one of the elements of the Aquarian Age, is the idea that we all have this ability within us, right? You know, we, we're all, you know, psychic to some degree. We are all priests. We're all priestesses. We're all shamanic. One of the hallmarks of the Aquarian age is we don't need intermediaries between us and the divine. We may need, you know, advice from people who have, um, you know, spent time studying a particular area more than other people because there's so many things to study. We can't do it all. But we all have access to the divine in some way. And that's the essence of a, of the Aquarian ideal. So there really wasn't any, you know, avoidance of those terms, you know, which is my, you know, uh, personal astrology business is shamanic starology because I work with the great star nations in a shamanic way as well. So I love the inclusiveness of that. And what you just spoke to, I made a big post about on Facebook today, because it seems like in this Aquarian age, we also have so many people showing up that are driven by ego or desire for profit or need for fame or whatever their deal is. And they want to be needed and they want to be the intermediary. And I think that's part of our awakening to be conscious of that and to say, I can get my own answers and I may seek help and guidance to do so. But I believe that the true truth leaders of today are in, are encouraging that empowerment, that self-empowerment, clearing your own connection, clearing your channel so that you can get your answers. And astrology can really help us do that. It really can. And you know, I agree with you 100%, Cheryl. And that element, those folks who are um, ego-driven and who are, you know, attempting to give other people the answers, they're actually it's more of the Piscean age. Yes. My personally feel we're not 100% in the Aquarian age yet. I think we're we're in a transition and right. that transition's been going on for a while. It's been going on for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh and I think it will continue on. Uh, I think it'll take a couple of hundred years before we're firmly in the Aquarian age. So the old age is dying out and I think that's one of the reasons why we see such a division in our culture and in our world right now. 
with people really taking up opposite ends of the pole and just not being able to see, as some people at any rate, not being able to see, um, you know, the places where those those points of view might merge together where they meet, but rather they're really polarizing. And that's a very dangerous thing for our planet. But I I do think that there are lots of folks who are holding on to the values and the concepts, largely out of fear. It's what's familiar of the past, the Piscean Age. And in the Piscean Age, you need an authoritarian figure. You need an authority who knows what's up. um, To tell you how to behave and what to do. And the Aquarian Age, that's not true we we still need again um specialists in a sense you know people who've collected information because we don't have time to collect everything (laughs) but yeah we also need to find our own way to our inner guidance and our inner direction and astrology definitely can help with that there's plenty of astrologers out there however who still you know, will be sort of um, directive, and I, it always makes me cringe sometimes when you know I hear from someone who tells me, "Oh, they," you know, a, a little bit like what my friend told me. You know, oh, this position—that's bad. It's like being <laughs> born under a bad star. You know, you're in trouble now. You know, it it makes me cringe yes. because it's just not true. You know, things might be difficult, but there's always value in working with the hard things as well as the things that come easily. Exactly. Yeah, you know, Saturn transits. People are so afraid of Saturn transits. Mercury retrograde. Don't start anything new when Mercury's retrograde. That has not been my experience. Everything's going to fall apart. Everything's going to break down. That's also not my experience. However, if we want to focus on something, a Saturn transit is the best time to do that. If we want to take a little time off and maybe go on retreat and stop trying to be so type A and push things through, we're really supported in doing that during a Mercury retrograde period. So it just requires a little change of perspective. I love that positive perspective. Well, I want to read something real quick out of your book. It says, we are not fated to express only our wounds. The message the Egyptian Netaru have for us is that we must see the bigger picture beyond our wounds. The Netaru mm. tell us it's not just what happened, but why? Can you speak to how that works for you in terms of the way you apply it when you blend it all together the way you do? Huh. Uh, let's see. Well, it, it's it's a bit of what I was just talking about. And, you know, perhaps I can uh, maybe use myself as an example and use that moon in Scorpio. Having moon in Scorpio, uh, having it at natally, you know, for those who do know a little bit of astrology out there, it's square to my Pluto and it's almost exactly square. So that has suggested that I was destined in a sense or fated, we could say, to um, grow up in a situation where I had difficulty trusting my mother to tell me the absolute truth about all situations. I had a kind of a, a ability to hear the things that she was not saying as and be very confused about that because, you know, I'm hearing the things she's not saying. She's telling me one thing, that sort of thing. I also had a lot of intense emotional aspects going on for me. So all of that was something that I was fated to deal with. And because it's the moon, it's something that came up fairly early in my life. And it meant that I had to deal with it. And there were times it was very difficult. However, 
what it also meant that as I dealt with it constructively, you know, approached it, went toward it, as opposed to, in a sense, being um, just reactive, I began to discover that I have a true ability to drop down within myself and determine when something has resonance and when it holds truth for me and when it doesn't. So that moon square to Pluto, for me at this point, is not a problem, it became a tremendous gift. It meant also meant that I'm a person, you know, we want to speak about shamanism and its relationship to concepts of, of death and rebirth. For me, you know, we think of all of the myths that have to do with the various gods and goddesses, Pluto and Persephone. You know, Pluto was the kidnapper. Persephone took her down into the underworld. That's a Greek and Roman myth. In the Egyptian myth, we have Anubis, who is the shower of the way, who goes down and takes the newly deceased down into the underworld to meet his, um, to meet Ma'at, who weighs their heart on a feather. So we have all of these archetypes in myth about individuals who are the who feel comfortable going into the underworld. This is the world of the depth psychologist. This is the world of the shaman. This is the person who's willing to hold people as they dive deep within themselves. That's part of the gift that I got from my moon in Scorpio square to Pluto. And I had to work some stuff out along the way. So when I'm doing a chart reading for somebody, I actually don't pay much attention to what other people consider to be their positive um aspects in their chart you know the 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 things were things are all harmonious and there's a lot of talents and abilities i mean i'll mention them but that's the easy stuff where they're going to grow and where they're going to transform is working with those things that are really difficult that are maybe even giving them some problems right now it's like to make a pearl you've got to have that grit right you've got to have the the friction in order to create something really beautiful we're like that too Oh, do I have a lot of grit. I haven't had you read my chart, but I, I, I just know that I signed up for, I think I signed up for a little bit too much this time. I can honestly say that I, I'm a, I was not thinking clearly in the hammock when I wrote this script for myself, if you believe in that kind of pre Well, I do. You know, what I often say is, what was I thinking? Yeah. You know, people say that to me, and it's like, I pick a different planet next time. This is the planet where people come to be abandoned, you know, and I'm, yeah. <laughs> to go through, you know, to sign up for some hard things because these are the really brave souls who come here it takes a lot of courage to come to planet earth that's my belief so these are the powerful strong souls who are here to make a difference on this planet but not just on this planet because as we change on planet earth on gaia gaia has a role in the great star nations and everything affects everything else so from the bigger picture, the more we change, the more the planet changes. And the more the planet changes, the more it affects the entire universe. You know, we can't, ne- don't necessarily, I don't pretend to know what's going on in that level. But I, I'm working from belief here, Cheryl. But yeah. I truly believe that's what's going on. And I think most of us have that feeling of what was I thinking? Yeah, next time I'm going to pick an easier <laughs> planet, you know. You really do hold the space of a shaman. Just just that message right there was it that (laughs) that you're right. We do come here to and we learn about the nature of ourselves through the fire, through coming out the other side and going, wow, how could I know my true strength if I never was completely abandoned and believed that I that I couldn't so that I could learn that I can. Right. It's I love the way you wrote about the, the correlation between Chiron and Anubis. I think 
think that's one of the most powerful chapters in the book because we are a people that see ourselves through wounds. And Chiron, of course, the wounded healer. Do you want to speak a little bit to to that? Sure. Um, Well, in the myths, both the uh, figure of Chiron and also Anubis were abandoned children. And it was quite literal abandonment. You know, we get abandoned in all kinds of ways. You know, there's physical abandonment, emotional abandonment, psychological abandonment, you know, all sorts of ways. In their case, quite literally, they were abandoned as babies. You know, their mothers walked away. And there's different stories about how it happened for Chiron and for Anubis. But in both cases, it was right after birth, their mothers are gone. And, of course, this happens for people on our planet, sometimes intentionally. You know, a mother has to give up a child. Sometimes a mother dies. It doesn't really matter to the baby. You know, the, the mom's still gone. So there, for a lot of folks, there's that feeling of not having that nurturing feminine right from the the beginning. So in both of their stories, they have to move through, in a sense, being run by their wounds. And um, I can say for myself, Cheryl, that I felt for many, much of my life, particularly in my 20s, to some degree going up into my 30s, I was run by my wounds and that I was very reactive to my wounds, um, perceived things that happened to me from an unconscious Um, point of view that was reflective more of my wounds than anything else. Uh, At a certain point, however, they both had to go through a process of detaching from their wounds and letting them go. And it was only at that point, and, you know, I almost hesitate to say that because it's easier said than done. And I want to acknowledge that, that letting go of your wounds you can't just wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm not going to be run by this anymore. You know, we have to do some personal work. And part of it is meaning we have to drop down into the wound. That's particularly important in Anubis's story in that he has to go down into the underworld. Uh, They are both then able to step into their role as being one of the most highly developed and uh, wise beings in each of their respective pantheons. So, you know, we have this story about the abandoned child who suffers from being abandoned, no doubt about it, goes through a journey in a sense, a personal journey, and comes out the other side truly stepping into their magnificence and their sole purpose. Chiron takes one a take, one orbit of Chiron around the sun is 50 years. And that is the point for most people. And it's kind of surprising to folks sometimes that those, uh, even folks who have done a lot of work throughout their lives will find that in their 50th year, they're going back and dealing with the original wounds. And it's the, you know, we live in a, a world where we tend to think in linear terms. So people will feel like, well, I've done my, I've done a lot of work. I've, I've been in therapy forever. You know, I understand how all this works. Why am I still reacting this way? And they'll start to kind of get down on themselves when really what's happening is it's an opportunity to delve deeper and to really go into not just the intellectual understanding of what it was like to be wounded in the way that they were when they were children or, or young young people, but also to work with it somatically. You know, these these wounds have a way of uh, getting into our very cellular structure and to let go of those wounds through a process of personal work that then frees them. And it, it is 
they're then able to step into a higher octave of themselves. And that's the point where people can actually start to realize, oh my gosh, I wouldn't be here where I am right now if that hadn't happened to me. And that's a powerful place to be. Yes, it is. And for me, I know that I signed up for abandonment on so many different levels. I'm adopted. And then I was adopted by a woman who really was emotionally not able to be the mother in many ways. And, you know, sexual abuse from the from the family that adopted. There was a lot of different ways that I felt abandoned growing up. And so I really had no idea where to anchor. And it took me most of my life to and, and a lot of shamanic work in the last seven years to understand that it was all about me not abandoning myself. Yes, because that's what tends to happen. We all do this. This is not unique. Most of us end up, you know, so many of these things that happen, happen when we're very young, even before cognition, right? Before three or four years old. So it gets imprinted on us when we're finally free of it all, we think, right? (laughs) We're, We're grown up in one way or another. We then go out and manifest similar sorts of abandonments in our lives. Yes. Right. And we go, what the heck happened there? You know, what's going on? And that's the point where, for me, the rubber hits the road. When we really realize that we're manifesting things that we don't consciously want to do, this is good news. It's, it's, from my point of view, really good news, because now we're really ready to do the deepest work that can ultimately liberate us from these things, where we really can say, oh, this is just what I signed up for. Again, <laughs> next time I'm going to make it easier. However, I'm alive. I'm thriving. You know, what a, what a miracle. You know, my story was, you know, I got abandoned in a different way. I know my mother loved me, but my father was a raging alcoholic. She was what we would call an enabler. Mm -hmm. You know, she was an unrecovered Al-Anon, basically. And I always, I ended, there's many ways in which she ended up betraying me Mm -hmm. because of her enmeshment with him, you know, kind of selling, you know, letting me hang out to dry. And so, yeah, you know, we all get some way that these things happen. And I've really come to the conclusion that that's the story of life on planet Earth. <laughs> well, if for a listener that may not know that much about their own chart or why care about astrology, what does this mean for me? When is a great time to reach out and get to know more about your, I mean, you probably think all of them are, but like, what would be an ideal time in a person's life when they could get the most out of learning a little bit about their chart? Well, it depends on the age that you are, but certainly the Saturn return, which happens for everyone around the age of 28 or 29. There's another Saturn return that takes place around the age of 58. Those are always good times because uh, there's a phase of life that's ending and something new is coming up. They're also what I would call the astrological midpoint of life, which is around the age of 43, 44. And there's actually a whole series of things that happens again for everybody from the ages of 39 through 45 that where things are shifting and changing aside from that if you really feel that you are in a place where you're feeling very very stuck where you're feeling that things are simply not working that you intellectually know how to do it differently but you can't there's something going on in your chart and it's an excellent time even if you've never had a chart ever done before to find a good astrologer and get your chart done you know find out what's going on because something is 
someone that will point out the opportunities rather than, oh, that doesn't look good for you. (laughs) I'm really happy to say that there are fewer and fewer of those kinds of astrologers (laughs) out there, but they are still there. So what I would say is if someone says that to you, if you hear them, you know, kind of clicking their tongue and you can, you know, hear them shaking their head or whatever, just go the other direction. That's <laughs> not the right person. Find someone who's had some a good reading. Who One of the things I like to hear is that people say to me, oh my goodness, this, this is helping me so much. It's helping me understand. And you know, you're really not telling me anything that I didn't already know. It's such an affirmation. You don't know me. And to have this being said to me just on the basis of my chart, it makes me feel like even though I get scared and even though, you know, sometimes I get depressed or overwhelmed, I really am on the right path. I, there really is something here. I like to hear that, you know, I, I shouldn't be telling them anything they don't already know, even if it's painful. You know, it's like, yeah, you're in a tough time right now. This is, you know, going to go on for a couple of years, but here's the opportunity around it. Here's here's what you're letting go of and what you can open to. And here's some ideas about how you can do that. That's excellent. For many of us, we only hear about maybe this, just our main birth sign. Like I'm a Libra. Yeah. So I hear a lot about Libra. I'm, and, and shamanism is about how everything works together. And, and I think that's really an important point about astrology. It, there isn't like one part of the chart that's, I don't think, more important than another because everything influences everything, right? Exactly. You know, we have what are called aspects, which are the mathematical relationships that the planets form to one another as they move through their orbits. And for me, this is the heart and soul of astrology. You know, Cheryl, there are there's more than one zodiac, you know, by the um, Vedic astrology, they use the sidereal zodiac. I'm not even a Virgo. I'm a Leo. There's tons of different house systems. For me, what doesn't change, it doesn't matter what zodiac you use, what house system you use, the aspects always remain the same. So earlier I was talking about my moon square to Pluto. It doesn't matter what system someone looks at my chart in, that's still going to be the same. That's where the heart and soul of astrology lies. And you do need someone who knows how to read what I call the dance of astrology. And that does take some time for an astrologer to learn how to do that. You know, just like everything else, we tend to learn astrology in pieces. How could we do it otherwise? So we learn first about the sun signs, and then we learn about the moon signs. Okay, the sun is the ego, the moon is emotions. How are they working with each other? Then we have to figure out how the aspects work with each other. So you need need someone who who knows how these things dance together because it's true you know sometimes I'll I'll do a chart for someone I'll say well yeah your son's in Libra that's not the most important sign in your chart you know here you've got all this energy over here in this other sign it's actually the most important sign in your chart and this is why so yeah you need someone who's been doing it for a while well, and you explain in the book that if you have two or more planets in one sign, that's going to be an important thing for you as well. It will be. Yes, it will give you emphasis in that particular area. Yes. So much to learn. And, you know, honestly, that's like back to what you were saying, unless we have a lot of time to dedicate to learning all this, this is the beauty of having a community of people with different interests. So we can go to the people that are the experts in what they're doing. And you do know a lot about this. I loved your book. I really loved your book. I'm still working through it. There's a lot in there. (laughs) 
Thank you. You know, one of the things that I do, and I hope people will um, look at my Shamanic Starology Facebook page, I post whenever anything's happening, I post something about it. And I do that with the objective, you know, it, it's a kind of a general sort of thing. This is what's going on right now. This is how it's referring to the kind of not even so much societal events but rather the general energy that we have here on the planet right now. This is how this, you know, whether it's a planet changing direction right now today, even as um, you and I are recording this, we have the planet Venus changing direction. So I just recently wrote something about that. So I hope people will check that out because I get a lot of feedback from folks telling me, thank you. This really helps me understand why I'm feeling this way right now. So that's one thing I enjoy doing. It is very helpful because, you know, inevitably I'll come across one of your postings about the time I'm wondering why 15 people have all expressed road rage on a highway where they normally don't or why all of a sudden everybody's so emotional or what. So we yeah. really do. We see the effects of it all around us and it can help us to be more conscious and of yeah. what's going on. And of course, you know, what, what's missing from that is if an individual, you know, has this particular influence that's affecting their specific chart, they're going to feel it more. So that's the place where, you know, um, you, you don't have to know your chart, but if you are aware, you know, if something kind of resonates with you, gee, you know, maybe there's a big transit going on right now that's really affecting you and it would really be beneficial for you to learn about it and understand how it works into your chart. When it works into your chart that's really another way of saying that it's working in your psyche right it's it's affecting your psyche and, and it's affecting you know i think in terms of crossroads what we astrologers call transits which is when one of the outer planets comes into relationship with one of the planets in our chart particularly one of the inner planets in our chart this is when big change happens in our life and it, we're basically on our journey through life our road through life we've hit a crossroads and we have a choice we can go one way or the other and what it usually boils down to is we can choose to grow or we can choose to avoid growing now it's not the end of the story because there will be other opportunities life keeps giving us opportunities to change so there will be other opportunities to change However, if we're informed, we can say, okay, I get it. I'm going to move in this direction, even though I'm scared, even though it's challenging, because there's more potential for change and growth in this direction. We can vastly accelerate our own transformation and change by using these tools. And we don't have to know that much about them. And they can connect with you on Facebook through your page, Shamanic Starology, and find out more about getting a reading to get the particulars of their chart. Yes, they can. Excellent. And they can also Ruby Falconer on, on uh, Facebook as well, either way. Wonderful. Well, tell us what you have coming up. In the spring, I'm going to be beginning a series of online classes, which will the dates on those and the specifics on those will be announced within the next month or two. So that will also be announced on Shamanic Starology as well as on my personal Facebook page. I do have a weekend class um, that's going to be taking place here at Isis Cove in Western North Carolina, Isis Cove Dove Mountain, which is going to be a, um, we don't exactly have the name of it yet, but it's Star Consciousness and Multidimensionality. And it's going to be, my co-teacher is Judith Corbin Blackburn, who um, does a lot of writing and teaching on the topic of multidimensionality. And so she and I meet pretty regularly for lunch and share our latest 
you know, kind of thoughts and ideas about um, how these two areas relate. She's also an astrologer. So we have that in common. And then um, we realize we want to teach a class together. So that's going to be March 29th, 30th, uh, let's see, March 28th through the 31st of 2019. That sounds fabulous. And I know this is crazy, but I already have a commitment on that date. But I really hope you guys offer that again or record it and offer it in recorded format or something because that just sounds amazing. Mario and I are over here with our eyes open big, like when and where? (laughs) Well, this is something, yeah, we just kind of looked at each other and said, we should do something together. So we will see, you know, we're going to take it on this maiden forage and see how this flies. But that's a whole area that's a great, you know, uh, fascination for me is the relationships to the, the multidimensionality options or uh, doorways that relating to the stars gives us as individuals. And it's all a part of astrology, but in a a bigger, more expanded way. So that sounds fascinating. Well, I'm kind of like microcosm, macrocosm. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And and they're both the same, right? (laughs) Yes, they are. Ultimately, they are. Yes. Well, time is just flying with us. I could talk with you all day, but I see that we need to draw to a close. So I like to ask as a parting question, if you have a final thought for us today. I think the main thing that I I would want to say to people is that um, those of us who are alive right now are alive at a time of tremendous potential. I really, truly, we were talking a little bit about this early, I believe that our planet Gaia is making a huge leap upward. There's a new octave waiting for us. It's a time of expansion. And as difficult and hard as it seems, it's also things feel very dense. I think it's really important for all of us to remember that. It's what helps me get up. There are some days when only remembering this is what helps me get up. You know, I, I'm an empath. I'm sure many people out there are. We take on a lot of sensitivity around things that are going on in the planet. But there's also a time of tremendous change. And it's an exciting time to be alive. Yes, it is. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and share your wisdom today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. We look forward to also having Linda Star Wolf. She will be on the show, the first show of December. So you could join us again then. We hope you'll join us every week, but definitely come back then and pick up more of this conversation. Thank you for listening today. I'd love to know what you think. We welcome your feedback and support at journeyofpossibilities.com slash donate. And we'll see you next week on Exploring Possibilities.